Hi everyone, I'm Sean Carlson. Welcome to Revive School. This is Lesson 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're continuing to read through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, his first of two letters that we have in our scriptures. And what's unique about this chapter is that if you've been to any sort of marriage conference or heard any sermon on marriage or pre-marriage counseling. This is probably something that people have referenced. So uh, as I was assigned this, I was like, man, we've, I've heard a lot of stuff on this. I need to take a little bit different approach to it. And so I feel like I did. Uh, and so uh, before we jump into chapter 7 and reading through the verses, uh, I want to set up two things. Uh, and this, these are these are going to be two things that help us uh, frame up how we're going to read the rest of the scriptures. The first thing is, is the context. So first of all, like when, when you read scripture, it's always helpful to know who's writing, who is write, who's the audience, and then what is the time frame of, of the audience? What's happening uh, during the time that, in this instance, what's happening in Corinth at the time Paul is writing to them? Uh, and then uh, also in the context, you, you like to know uh, what is the culture? What, is, what are some of the things that they're battling, some of the issues that they face? So that's one thing that we're going to lift up. The second thing that we're going to lift up is that we're actually going to look through Paul's apostolic lens as we read through these verses. I think that's going to be kind of a, a fun thing as, as we take a different approach through it. Uh, so I want to I want to give you a couple of things first. So uh, Paul visited Corinth in, in AD 51, roughly, uh, and that's accounted for in Acts 18. So I actually want to go there uh, because we're going to get some information out of that. So if we go to Acts 18, starting in verse 8, I'm going to start in the middle of the verse. And it says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. So check this out. This is what the Lord is saying to Paul said, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul was there for a year and a half. What To me, what this verse says is that the Lord gave Corinth to Paul. He opened the door wide open. He said, look, Corinth is yours. Go boldly, speak the word. I'm giving you this city. Be a good steward of it. So I think that's, that's going to be key as we look through Paul's apostolic lens. Paul, knowing that the Lord specifically spoke to him about Corinth, and he has to be a good steward of it, and, and God gave him a mission for that community. Uh, the, the second context that I want to... Um, give you about Corinth of the time. And, and we've talked about this. Corinth was a, a very idolatrous, uh, adulterous, Hellenistic. It was just a, it was kind of a garbage town. And uh, Paul is trying to plant a church. So if you can imagine the worst part of the neighborhood or the worst part of the city that you live in, and then multiply that by who knows how much, and then try to plant a church in that city, especially Paul's time early in the movement, uh, one of the things about the culture of the time, if you have time, MacArthur has a really interesting write-up on this. Uh, but I'm going to highlight, there's, there's four, because in this chapter we're going to be talking about marriage. There are four different types of marriage that MacArthur outlines that were happening in the time that Paul was writing this letter. The first type of marriage was basically kind of this arrangement between slaves where there was no legal marriage, but they kind of had an arrangement. Uh, the second one was um, uh, what we would probably call it a common law marriage, where they're, if they're inhabit, cohabitating long enough, then that would count as a marriage. Um, the, the third type of marriage was a, a sale, like a father would sell his daughter. Uh, that would be We hear about that in some other countries. That would be the third type. And then the fourth type, 
would be just kind of a nice regular marriage like we think of in today's culture, a, a pretty vanilla, honoring type marriage. So those four types of marriages existed, as well as all of the, the idolatry and the sexual immorality that we have already read through and read about. But imagine if Paul has planted a church, he's been there for 18 months, he's been there for a year and a half, and he has all of these new believers, he's taught the word of God, he's poured in, and then Paul leaves. And when Paul's writing this letter, it's about five years after the fact. So these believers have had time to be in the culture of Corinth, but in this new state of mind of, of being new believers, of being Christians, and they probably are having difficulty meshing what does the worldly culture say versus what does my culture as a Christian say? And so uh, they're navigating that. So you imagine that. Like imagine sharing the gospel in your neighborhood and uh, somebody comes to know the Lord and then they have to uh, come out of a lifestyle and into this lifestyle of Christianity. But as we go about things in the world, some of these things that are not Christian, they still have to battle with. They're going to have questions. And so this is what Paul is writing five years later. In part, in this chapter, he's addressing some of the questions that they have. So that's the context. That's a historical context. So I want to also set up this apostolic viewpoint that Paul is going to have. Uh, he, he, if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Kevin, verses 1 and 2, we just want to reiterate this. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus to our brothers uh, and to our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I, I read that because we just want to reiterate the fact that Paul is an apostle here and he is writing to the saints. He's writing to the believers in Corinth. And so Paul, remember in Acts, he's been assigned, he's been given Corinth as his territory and he is writing to the saints. He continues to pour into them even five years later. So what's the role of an apostle? If we're going to look through an apostle lens, what is the role of an apostle? And so first, just the Greek, the meaning of the word apostle. It's a relatively, in the context of Greek words, it was a newer word, uh, and it's apostolos. So the Greek word apostles, and it means one who is sent out. And so this was originally a secular word, and what what the word is created for was as the Romans were acquiring territory and uh, new new countries and territory, uh, they would send an apostle out to acculturalize the land, to bring the culture of Rome to the new land. So they're trying to bring culture from something that exists into something that has never experienced that culture. We could think of it as, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So Paul is trying to bring the heavenly culture to where he's going. The second thing on, on the role of an apostle, Ephesians four eleven through 13. We always go here. Uh, it says, And he gave, he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And we can go on to the next verse. Uh, Until we all attain unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember, he's taking uh, relatively new believers and he's trying to mature them. He's equipping them. They're saints. He called them saints. So Paul's apostolic lens that he is uh, writing to the Corinthians about is all about trying to bring the culture of heaven, bring God's culture to them, as well as equip them for the work that they've been called to. We have all been called. If you're a believer, you've been called to the work of the ministry. You've been called to uh, share your faith. You've been called to witness. You've been called to give a testimony of Christ in your life. That's Paul's goal with them. That's his apostolic lens that he's looking through. 
And, and how we're going to see this is to, I want to show you what the big picture is. And so there are things that we're going to see, but we're going to look at the big picture. So here we go. We're going to start in, in verse 1 of chapter 7. We're going to see three audiences that Paul is writing to. The first one is the marrieds, the Christian married couples. Uh, and we're going to start in verse 1. The, the second one and the third one are the unequally yoked, just so we know ahead of time, and then the singles. So we're going to talk to the marrieds, uh, and then we're going to talk to the singles. And so uh, here we go in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, so first of all, observation here. That first part of the sentence, for the matters with which you wrote, what does that imply, Kevin? Uh, Paul's evidently had a letter from the church at Corinth. Yeah, they have written him a letter. So they're asking him something of, of this. Is it, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? Why in the world... Well, they want to know this question. Some, some translations that you might have say not to touch a woman. That means the same thing, not to have sexual relations with a woman. Here's the thing. Remember, we've got those four categories of marriages in Corinth at the time in the culture. And because the church was coming in, uh, there was this idea that had developed that celibacy was a good thing. And celibacy within the context of the church and marriage was like a super spiritual way of being married. So you would actually have people believers, married to believers in the church who thought, you know what, uh, we're just going to remain celibate even though we're married because they thought that was a, a higher level of uh, spirituality. Uh, as well as, uh, I think that they're also asking like, should I get married? Should I not get married? So they're asking these questions. Paul is trying to address these questions uh, here. I imagine uh, as a new believer, again, we talked about like this culture of you're trying to enter into a balance between the worldly culture and a Christian culture, and you see some people who look like they're doing it right, but they've got this like legalism thing going on. And, and they're asking the question, well, that, that looks right, but it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't seem right. So they're, they're asking these questions. And Paul's answer is basically say, all right, relax, everybody. Yes, it's okay to, it's okay to be celibate. And we'll address that later on in the chapter. But at the same time, it's... It's all right to be married as well. It's all right to be married and have an intimate relationship with your spouse. And so we can go on uh, into verse 2 uh, because here's what Paul has to do now. Remember, through the apostolic lens, Paul has to bring the culture of heaven, the culture of God, into the culture of Corinth and try to acculturalize them to what is, what is God's design for marriage. Uh, and so wh what do we say here? It says, verse 2, it says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. What Paul is doing here is he's trying to take the culture of heaven and apply it to the culture in Corinth. God's design for marriage is that there, it, it's, it's two people, one man, one woman, nobody else, nothing else gets in between those two relationships. And because what he says is that because of the temptation to sexual immorality, look, these guys are living in a, in a culture that has just got stuff all over the place. And if, if they are not fully united and 100% together, they're going to be tempted left and right of all the things of the Corinth culture coming around them. And so what Paul is saying, I want you to have a godly marriage. You should stick to the culture sent from heaven. Uh, no more concubines, no more affairs, don't even be flirting. Like, just get all of that stuff out of here and stick to your spouse. Find a spouse, stick with them, and only them forever. Paul knows that this is the design of God. Paul knows that this is what God's design of marriage is. And so he's saying, 
you stick with him or you choose to stay single. There's no in between. There's no fooling around. There's nothing like that. You have one option or the other. And Paul's going to address the singles later on in the chapter. And so this is what he's saying. And this is his apostolic lens. He he knows that he's trying to build up the church. And he knows that marriage is a part of the testimony that's going to bring forth the gospel in Corinth. And so through his lens, he is trying to establish a foundation. Uh, In verse 3... This is how he pours into marriages. It says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. And what this is saying, this is, yes, this is conjugal rights, but this is saying, I want there to be 100% openness in your marriage. I want there to be nothing between the two of you. There cannot be things that you're hiding. Well, I'm talking about like, uh, he's talking about like uh, conjugal rights but in addition to that, that's like, that's like the greatest. That's, that's, that's in the garden. That's, um, you know, that's like this example of, of, of being, uh, how do they say, naked and not ashamed, Adam and Eve. But before that, in our context, it means like, I don't want you hiding anything in your checkbook, in your browsing history. What are you buying on Amazon? Like, there should be 100% openness in your marriage relationship. Because that is going to give you the most firm foundation and it's what is going to keep the enemy away from getting a stronghold or a foothold in your marriage because we want these marriages to be the foundation and the testimony in this culture. You are in a covenant relationship when you're married. And that covenant relationship, think of our covenant relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't hold anything back from us. We should not be holding anything back from our spouse. When we talk about not holding anything back, I mean physically and emotionally. And Paul's going to show us what that looks like in a minute. But I, I, I want to I give you a, a saying that when, when I was going through my pre-marriage counseling, our pastor uh, gave to my wife and I, and he said this. He says, now before you get married, uh, Satan will do anything he can to get you to have sex. After you get married, Satan will do anything he can to keep you from having sex. He, Satan is trying to, one, disrupt this covenant relationship before you get married. But when you are married, Satan is going to want to keep that intimacy away from you because he knows how much of a solid foundation that can create and how much of a witness that can be for the kingdom and how much power a couple can have in terms of ministering together and being fully, uh, fully in covenant relationship with one another. Paul knew this. In his apostolic lens, Paul knew this. And because of the the culture of Corinth at the time, with all the sexual immorality, this was a major, major foothold, a major stronghold that the enemy had over Corinth. And one of the biggest ways to battle that is to make sure that you're doing the opposite. Our our friend Ray has a a book, and and the title of his book is called How to Beat the the Devil with His Own Stick. This is what Paul is doing. He is beating the the devil's uh, foothold of sexual immorality with its own stick by trying to promote healthy and thriving marriages in Corinth. That's the number one way to attack what the stronghold is. That's what Paul's doing. That's Paul's apostolic lens. And that's one of the ways that we can read through some of these letters and say, all right, Paul's up to something that's greater than just giving me some good marriage advice. Let's go to verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have over authority Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What does this mean? This is such a controversial uh, uh, verse here. And let me just say, this is not a license for control. This is not a license for control, either physically or emotionally. This is a mutual agreement. This is an honor and respect for one another. Husbands, honor your wives, just as Christ did the church. Wives, honor your husbands. This is a mutual agreement. Now look, I understand that sometimes people are in unhealthy relationships and and this is this is speaking to people who have 
uh, who are not in that situation, if you're in an unhealthy relationship that's emotionally abusive or physically abusive, seek some help. Contact your local church or, or a, reach out to a friend. Get help for that. So this is not a verse that promotes that or gives license to that. This is a verse that says, you are in this together. You are mutually bonded and you have mutual agreement to one another because you are not holding back anything from one another. You are 100% open and honest and vulnerable. You are in a covenant relationship. In verse 5, it says, Do not deprive one another except, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is, this is huge. And this speaks to that stronghold again, even though we're not reading it necessarily like that. Satan has this stronghold in Corinth of all this sexual immorality. And look, look what happens when, when, we, when we separate as, as spouses, when we no longer have that 100% openness, when we no longer have those conjugal rights the enemy has a little bit of a crack that he can start working with. And look what Paul says to fill in that crack. If you're, if you're going to deprive one another, make sure that you are uh, in agreement for a limited time and that you're devoting yourselves to prayer. Remember in Mark, when, when, the, when the disciples couldn't cast out the demon, what does Jesus say? Well, it could have gone out with prayer and fasting. And so Paul here knows that prayer can fill in that gap to keep the enemy from getting in. And so if you have to, to fast from that for some reason, Fill it with prayer and only prayer. But then it says, come together again. And I would say right away, as quick as you can, come together again. Uh, and so, be, so that you continue with that bond of intimacy and that 100% openness. Because again, apostolic lens, what is that doing for us? It's building a witness. And it's, and it's going after that stronghold of idolatry, adultery, sexual immorality. You know, in the context of a, a safe and healthy marriage, if you do get to the point where you are withholding sexual intimacy from your partner, let me just say that the sin has already taken place. The withholding is not the sin. You have to think about what comes before the withholding. You think about what would motivate somebody to actually want to withhold a sexual relationship. Uh, is it anger? Did, did something uh, tick me off earlier in the day or a week ago that I'm holding on to anger or disappointment or frustration that's causing bitterness? When you get to the point where you're, where you're going to say to yourself, I'm going to withhold sexual relations with my spouse, you've traveled a road already that is littered with things not of the Lord. And I, I would challenge you if, if you, if you have that thought, that thought is where the enemy is going to get a stronghold. You need to go back and start thinking through the things that caused you to get to that point and close out those things. Seek forgiveness. Seek restoration with your spouse. The withholding is not going to solve anything. In fact, it's going to make anything worse. You need to get back to that place where you have that 100% open transparency, intimacy with your spouse so that nothing can get in the way so that we can go after this stronghold of sexual immorality in the culture. In verse 6. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. Now here, this is what it is. It's basically saying, I can concede this. This is not a command. And this is what, this is what he says in verse 7. I wish that all were as myself. I think that a lot. <laughs> I wish everybody was like me. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. That's something I think that we can all agree upon. We are all gifted. We're all unique. We're all one of a kind. And here he's going to prescribe some things here. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. 
Remember, Paul is saying that uh, people are called and gifted on their own. And so he's saying, if you are to remain single, he, he's going he's to go on to say, you better make sure that you know that you are called to be single. In verse 9 it says, But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Going back to that temptation again. If you, if you feel like you cannot control the temptation, Paul, like he said in verse 2, one man, one woman, find a spouse, marry them, stick with them. Paul knows that he's going after, through his apostolic lens, this stronghold, and he knows where all of the cracks that the enemy are going to find, is going to find room. And he's saying, man, just find yourself a spouse, get married. It's okay to be single if that's what God is calling you to, but find a spouse to get married. Now, this doesn't mean like, oh man, I'm on a wife hunt. I need to get a wife. I need to get married. Like, that's not what that's saying. It's just be open. Be preparing yourself. Be ready to get married whenever that should happen if you're not married already. If you know God's calling you to get married, stick with it. God's going to provide a spouse. But enjoy the process of being refined. Uh, that's not always great. Uh, and uh, here's the thing, too. Uh, Paul says, like, in, in verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. The prescription here. Uh, in terms of exercising self-control, like there, there are people who do have sexual addictions or people who are seeking their value uh, from sleeping with others. Uh, maybe they're using it to avoid pain. Uh, you know, maybe there's like this stronghold that, that they just can't break free from. Paul is not trying to address that in this verse. Paul is saying, if you know that you are not called to be single and you know that you cannot remain single because of, of your desires, you need to, to get on a path where you're going to get married. What he's not addressing in this is if, if there are things in your life uh, that are not from the Lord, that are from the enemy that you need to deal with, find somebody who can help you deal with them so that you can, you can, become, uh, you can get to a healthy spot so that you can enter back into this and find a spouse who's going to give you a God-honoring God relationship with. In verse 10, Kevin, it says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And we can go on to verse 12 as well. To the rest, I say, and this is I, not the Lord. So basically Paul is saying, what I just told you was from the Lord. Now I'm, gonna, I'm still going to give you inspired scripture, but this is Paul's words. Uh, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. This, this brings us into the, into the second section of the unequally yoked. And, and I'm going to give you the high level of this in, in the last section. We all know people who are in marriages that are unequally yoked, meaning there's one spouse who's a believer and there's one spouse who is not a believer. And what Paul is going to go on to say is that this is an opportunity for the believing spouse to, to share the gospel and bring to the Lord the non-believing spouse. And he, what, he's, what he's going to go on to say, he's going to say, if you're in a situation like that, if you have a spouse who's a non-believer, stick with it. Pray for them. Minister to them. Enjoy your time with them. Yes, they're not, they're not a Christian. They're not a believer. But it, Paul is saying that you have the opportunity to share your faith with them. I know couples who are, have thriving, that, through our culture, thriving marriages where one spouse is not a believer and the other spouse is a believer. And it's a beautiful marriage. And I know that there's a ton of prayer going into that spouse who's not a believer. But it's fun to hang out with them. And I would submit to you that you should hang out with them, spend time with them. And I know that we all know couples who are in a relationship where one spouse is not a believer and the other spouse is. And the non-believing spouse creates a world of hurt and a world of trouble for the believing spouse. If you know people like that, man, we need to come around those people. 
encourage them. Tell them, keep praying for your spouse. I'm praying for you, bro. I'm praying for you. Why don't you guys come hang out with, with us? You know, let's do stuff together. Encourage them to continue on. Paul will go on to say that there's a, there's a, there's a legitimate cause for divorce when one spouse is, is a non-believer and one spouse is. But what he's going to stress here is that we want to be praying for those marriages, that they can be honoring to the Lord, that they can be uh, a, a way to witness. Because remember, Paul's through this apostolic lens, he's trying to build a strong foundation for marriage so that it can be a witness and attack that stronghold. We want to make sure that we can be on this battlefront with our brothers and sisters who are in this kind of a relationship. And so that's what Paul goes on in verses 12 through 24. He's talking about the unequally yoked. And that is his message to them. And then we go on to the singles. We've talked about the marrieds. Paul's going to talk about the singles. And this is verses 25 through 40. And in verse 26, it says this, I think that in that view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. This is kind of a, kind of a, a callback to, like if you've been called to be single, if you're single and you, and you know that God has called you to be single, embrace it. Remain who you are. Embrace who the Lord created you to be and embrace what that does for you. Paul's going to go on to talk about uh, uh, marriages and ministry and and what he's saying is that if you're married in a ministry, your attention is divided. So if you're single, devote your attention to the Lord. Don't allow yourself to get into a rut of bitterness and despair because you're single. I, I think we, we all have single friends and, and some of them handle singleness at varying degrees. What Paul is, is saying in these verses, embrace your singleness. It's the Lord that has called you to be there. So embrace what the Lord has called you to do. In verse 32, for example, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Yes, I think you could read anxious as good and bad. Be anxious about it, but like be anxious about it. Yeah, how can I be pleasing the Lord? And then here's where I was talking about. In verse 33, it says, But the unmarried man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. Paul, as, as he stated earlier in this chapter, he's single. And he says, why wouldn't everybody want to be like me? Most people are called to be married. And what Paul is trying to tell us here is that if you're called to be married, you just have to know that your attention is going to be divided. And it just takes that much more work to make sure that you are giving all of your attention to the things of the Lord and all of your attention to the things of your spouse and your family. And it's a hard balance. In ministry, we deal with this all the time. And God will get you through that, but you have to know that you've been called to that. And both spouses have to know that they have been called. You see, when you look through these verses in these chapters through an apostolic lens where Paul's role is to try to bring the culture of heaven to the culture, into the culture of earth, and that Paul is trying to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. You can see that these are more than just good tips for a healthy marriage. These are tips that are building a strong foundation for the body. And in the context of the Corinthian church, the, the strong marriages are building a fortress against the stronghold of idolatry and sexual immorality in Corinth at the time. Paul knew what he was doing. He was an apostle. He was appointed by God. He was talked to by Jesus. He was given Corinth. And Paul went after it strategically. And sometimes I think when we read through the letters of Paul and, and the other writers of the Bible, 
we may miss those kinds of things. So I'd encourage you as you continue to study through the scripture and understand not only what is the culture of the time and who is, who is the author writing to, but what would the author's lens be given, in Paul's case, his encounter with the Lord and his, his spiritual awareness for what was going on in Corinth. He has some great marriage tips and advice for us in these chapters, but at the same time, there's some great spiritual advice here for the battle that we face every day. And so know what you've been called to and pursue the things of the Lord, the culture of heaven. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I'm Sean. I'm excited to be here and we'll see you next time.